Well, are you ready for some persecution? We're going to be talking in this section about persecution in the tribulation. By the way, do you know in the 20th, 21st century, an average of 200,000 Christians are killed globally every year? Think of that. You know, people say, well, you know, uh, they act like there's no persecution or martyrs going on today and everything. Well, there's more than ever before. We just happen to live where they're not as much yet. Well, that wasn't part of my talk. But, uh, so we're going to look at uh, persecution and tribulation, and this relates to believers in the tribulation. And as I say, I think there's going to be hundreds of millions of people that are saved after the rapture, very likely because there could be a multi-year period between the end of the church age, which is the rapture, and the beginning of the tribulation, which starts with the signing of the covenant between the Antichrist, who has to come into place because the Antichrist arises from the ten nations. So the ten nations have to form first, and then the little horn pops up, the Antichrist from among them. So that's going to take some time. And therefore, when the tribulation starts, the Antichrist would be in position to function and do his thing. And what we see in the book of Revelation, talking about the believers, uh, but one other thing, you have not only normal evangelism going on, you have all the tracts that people wrote, if the rapture happens, read this, you know, type of thing. And you have the two witnesses who are evangelizing Israel in the first half, and you have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are supernaturally protected during the first half of the tribulation preaching the gospel. And Paul said that he was one born out of due time. And it appears that it's like 144,000 Apostle Pauls out there really getting it on. And so you're going to have all kind. Of, in fact, it says the gospel is going to be preached six times. It says this in the book of Revelation to every tribe, kindred, tongue, or nation. And that's the smallest breakdown of the smallest people group that exists on the planet. So folks are going to hear the gospel like never before. And, when, and that's why in Revelation 6 and 9, when you turn there, it says, And when he broke the fifth seal... I saw underneath the altar the souls, soul meaning life here, of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And so, uh, and, and it's this great number here. And because of the testimony which they had maintained. And we see in Matthew 24, 9, kind of a parallel passage. Uh, it says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all the nations on account of my name. And uh, especially during the tribulation, if you're not being persecuted, you're not really preaching the gospel. <laughs> so this is a, a tremendous time of that. And when you go back to Revelation chapter 6, I'm going to see if this works. 
It says, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There was those people who were saying, Look, we're being persecuted and everything. Why don't you slap them down? And of course he says, sit down and take a number and I'll get to you guys later in a minute. But, uh, I remember back in around 1970, a bunch of hippies put out this song. hippies in 1970 and that is the question they're asking when are you, when are you going to avenge us and we see them in verse 16 it says and th- this is the earth dwellers response I, I think I mentioned last time I spoke a moment ago that earth dwellers is a term that's used for unbelievers in the tribulation yeah and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, this is the earth dwellers, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now this is in chapter 6. You know, so we see the wrath of the Lamb uh, focus on unbelievers during this time. And of course, obviously after the rapture, people will start getting saved and there'll be believers in the tribulation but the wrath of God is going to be focused on unbelievers during the tribulation. And we see where it goes on and says in the next verse, this is the earth dweller's response. It says, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? They're, they're going to be epistemologically self-conscious. They're going to know that this is God's wrath. It's not like, what is, what's, what's that storm out there? Is that... You know, just some uh, weather event. No, they're going to know that it is the wrath of God. That's why they go in the caves, because no building is going to stand. You know, I don't know how long technology is going to last in the tribulation, you know. Are people going to be able to look on the Internet uh, after a while? It seems, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation about these kinds of things. But then we see... The question is answered in verse 17 in Revelation 6. Who is able to stand is a question. And the pause here in chapter 7 consists of two separate visions, each of which responds in some way to that question 
in 6.17, who is able to stand? And chapter 7 answers that question. So further calamities are delayed until a large number of God's servants from all of Israel is marked for protection and ministry from the coming judgments on earth while an innumerable multitude from every nation joins in the heavenly worship of God. So only believers in Christ, the Lamb, as he's pictured in the book of Revelation 28 times, he's referred to as the Lamb. The beast is referred to 36 times. So the book of Revelation, in one sense, is the Lamb versus the beast. Who's going to win? No school picks a lamb for their mascot. Can you imagine a football game? You're the lambs, and they sack the quarterback, and the other side's going back. <laughs> but this shows an important thing. Through submission to God and his authority, as Christ is the perfect picture of that, that's how you gain victory in God's economy. So only believers in Christ, the Lamb, whether Jew or Gentile, will be able to stand. And verse 9 of chapter 7 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. See, these are, these are believers here. From every tri- nation and all tribes and people and tongues. That term is used six times, I already mentioned last time, in the book of Revelation. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So, this is in heaven. This means they've been martyred. This means huge amounts of believers, especially in the first half of the tribulation, are going to be killed for their faith. And so that probably means they're not secret service Christians. They're out there proclaiming the word of God along with the others who are divinely protected and sent from God in addition so no grouping of humans is excluded from the, during the tribulation. Every society, culture, populace, and tradition conceivable will be part uh, will be part of the persecuted of God's redeemed community. Do you know that Christianity, Christendom is probably a better word. Christendom refers to anything that's related to Christianity, whether the cults or Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholics or the Pro- liberal Protestants. Christendom is the largest religion in the world by over a half a million more than Islam. Some people try to say Islam's the largest. No, they leave out South America, usually when they go with that statistic. But Christianity's already had a huge impact in the world. But it's going to be even greater. The true gospel is going to be even greater during this time of tribulation. And in verse 9, it continues and says, standing before the throne. This is where these people are standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So that's in heaven, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And if you remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, they had palm branches. That's a way of welcoming and uh, doing that. So uh, these are people that are going to be before the throne of God, in the very presence of God the Father at this point in history. All these martyrs that are coming out of the tribulation who are saved after the rapture. So palm branches were a symbol of joyful celebration more broadly and also represents communal celebration of victories of enemies. So it's related to a victory. And that's even more interesting that 
the day Christ wrote it, they used palm branches that he was the victor, but he was crucified a few days later, wasn't he? So, from, and they said that they're from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues. That's repeated again. And we see in Genesis 12, 3, it wasn't say, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see that coming to fruition throughout history, but ultimately here in the book of Revelation. The beginning of God calling Abram, and through him, Jesus and the Jewish people, it now comes to an end as depicted in the book of Revelation about how people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, or nation is saved. And in verse 10 of chapter 7 in Revelation, it says, And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now, probably there's at least three and a half more years of the tribulation to go. But it's so certain that God's victory is going to take place that they are pointing this out in heaven, even though they've been martyred themselves and uh, they're looking forward to God's ultimate victory. And in verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, And one of the elders answered, saying to me, notice a question is asked in the previous verse, Who are these people? And he says, and one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, who are, who are they and where do they come from? And it says, I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And so these are just the ones in heaven because we know that there will be people who are saved, who survive, because those are the sheep that go into the millennium and continue in these mortal bodies and live for a thousand years. Just think somebody's going to be like a thousand and seventy-five years or something like that during the millennium at the end. And they're going to be able to procreate and have children and children will have to decide whether or not to accept Christ as their Savior. And they can go visiting in Jerusalem. Talk to, to the Messiah. Talk to Jesus if they want, want to. So, we then see on in verse 14 of chapter 7, it says, And they had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You know, that's another kind of contradiction. I've been told by ladies that blood is one of the hardest stains to get out of clothing. And yet here is the imagery that they are washing themselves, their clothes, which represents their act and the status. You know, the mailman wears a mailman uniform, the military guy wears a military uniform, etc. It represents who they are, and it's washed in the blood of the Lamb, and it's perfectly white, white as snow. And so this is, this is the thing. In other words, they're believers, is what that's saying. And we then see in verse 15, it says, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. So they're, they're a heavenly temple up there. Believers will serve him, be available to serve him day and night. We won't need, you know, won't need to sleep, won't need to eat. Apparently we'll be able to eat. 
just like Christ was, but we won't need to, and we won't need to sleep. There goes those Sunday afternoon naps, among other things. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. And this means protection. In other words, uh, this is a favorable situation that they're going to be in there. And verse 16 says, And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. And of course, this is talking about the condition of persecuted believers uh, during the tribulation, probably in context here, but throughout history as well, I'm sure that applies. That many Christians, uh, especially uh, in some of the countries where they persecute Christians, like China and, and uh, the Islamic countries and things like this, have experienced deprivation. And he's saying that won't happen anymore uh, at this point in history. And so he invites us later to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't want to get into that. The marriage supper, the wedding of the Lamb takes place in heaven. The marriage supper takes place at the beginning of the millennium. Just like we often separate the, the wedding and the wedding reception. So it is in Scripture. The marriage takes place right before the second coming of the bride, but the marriage supper, the celebration, and people... Some people think it'll last for a number of years uh, at the beginning of the millennium. So in verse 17, it says, For the Lamb is the center of the throne, uh, shall be their shepherd. So who's the Lamb? Jesus. And shall guide them to springs of the water of life. In other words, he's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us at this point. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I, when I was growing up, I had four sisters. I used to love to make them cry. I used to try to push it to where right before my parents would intervene and go after me and make them cry. One of my favorite ways of doing that, every Christmas, all four sisters, at least a certain time, would get a doll for Christmas. And I had 35, 40 dolls stacked over this earth. And, and I would beat up some of their dolls. And uh, that would make them cry. And they had names wrong. You just hit Sally or whatever it was, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But, and I've shared this passage with my sisters as well. He shall wipe away every tear from their eye. In other words, there's going to be no sorrow. I don't know how it's going to work. How it's going to be that, you know, people have asked me, well, if you think of your friends who are unbelievers, won't you be sorry? Well, apparently not. He's going to give us a mindset that will not involve any sorrow or tears or, or not that we can't, I don't think he's going to wipe out our brains or anything. There's no point in history if you erase history. Uh, but he, we're going to be able to be so mature that we can handle it, I guess, perhaps would be another way of looking at it. And then we see in chapter 8, verse 1, And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Uh, now, Tim LaHaye and many prophecy teachers like to say this is for everybody to get their dispensational charts corrected. 
at this point. But apparently what it really means is there's silence because there's such awe in what is about to happen in the sequence of events in the book of Revelation is so awe-inspiring that nobody can say anything. So, you see in verse 2, it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. So these are seven angels that are there to bring about what's called the trumpet judgments in this particular sequence there in heaven. And the, the trumpet judgments are the middle series of judgments. And in verse 3 it says, And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer. And so the picture here is like you had in Israel and you know in certain liturgical churches even today, you have an altar of incense. And I don't know about you, but I've been to those Eastern Orthodox churches over in Israel and things, and the fragrance is a sweet smelling fragrance to me, even though it's supposed to represent that. Uh, and they have smoke that comes up and it says, and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So th- this is the prayers that we saw in chapter 7. And he, what's saying is he's getting ready to answer those prayers and the incense represents the prayers going up to the Lord uh, that he's getting ready to answer here. And verse four says, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. So it's, it's saying that that smoke did reach uh, the throne of God at this point. Verse five says, and the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it down to earth. So, the, remember, what did they say? That song that I played? How long, O oh Lord, holy and just, will thou not avenge the blood of those of us who dwell on the earth? In other words, when are you going to bring judgment for them persecuting and killing believers during the trib? And... That's why once he does this, see, by the way, 13 times in the book of Revelation, it, everything begins in heaven, goes to earth, back to heaven, earth, had 13 times it cycles. Everything that's taking place on earth is something that's decreed by God in heaven. And so here you see one of those cycles being put into place and filled it with fire and threw it to the earth. And so this is something that happens in heaven that indicates about what, what's about to happen, and that is the, uh, the uh, trumpet judgments that are very severe. There's two full chapters describing the trumpet judgments. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And as you read the book of Revelation and even in Isaiah and other places, it talks about there's thunder and lightning in the throne room of God. And so God then sends that down uh, on the earth. God's a holy, righteous God. You don't want to mess with him. And verse 6 says, And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. 
I don't know if they puckered their lips or what they did to prepare for it, but are gotten a certain stance, but they're now ready for these to come forth. And of course, each one comes forth one after the other. And that describes that. So, when you... Uh, then you have Revelation chapter 12 that describes the dragon going after the woman. And the woman in this context represents Israel. And it's talking about how uh, the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth. And so this is the midpoint of the tribulation. The dragon is Satan himself, of course. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And in Revelation 12, you see that happening in the first three verses of chapter 12. And this is a, a recapitulation prophetically of what happened of Christ coming into the world and him being persecuted. And so the woman represents Israel, not in the past, but in the future, and how she is going to flee into the wilderness. Of course, you see parallels to this, of Israel being in the wilderness for 39 years, 40 years, basically, before they brought into the promised land, etc. And that, some of these events are going to be recapitulated uh, literally in relation to uh, the nation of Israel. And it, then it says in the next verse, and the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. How many of y'all think that's probably the Israeli Air Force? The American Air Force? The European? No, no of course not. This, this is a reference to God's deliverance of t taking the Jews into the, Petra, what is now Petra, and it's called Basra. I mentioned that in a previous uh, talk, and where he supernaturally protects uh, the Jewish people. And it says she was nourished for a time and times and half a time. In other words, he's going to totally provide, just like he did in, in the 40 years of wilderness wonders where he, their clothes didn't wear out and he provided manna in that case. Maybe they'll have a, a, a better menu this time around. I don't know. From, from the presence of the serpent. So he's going to protect them in the second half of the tribulation in Petra. And so we then see in chapter 13, verse 5, the little horn of Daniel 7. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given him. So it's talking about uh, the Antichrist there in the second half. And uh, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. That is those who dwell in heaven. I've talked about those who dwell on the earth 11 times. Those who dwell in heaven are mentioned twice in Revelation 13, 6. So that's a, a term for Believers, and it's also used in 12 12. It says, For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. And what are they rejoicing over in the context? The defeat of Satan and, and things. And so, it talks about how he's given war to make uh, against the saints. And you, you then have various judgments that take place. So we can see how God is, is going to be at work in a special way during this 
uh, part of the tribulation and how he's going to protect and vindicate and get receive vengeance for what's being happened. Now, God uses providence during our days today to deal with issues, but he is going to directly be the agent who brings the wrath of God on unbelievers during this time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a mighty God. We can't even comprehend how great and wonderful you are, how you spoke this current creation into existence with just words and how you're going to end and destroy this at some point in the future, this current creation and create a brand new heaven and earth that's going to be even more beautiful than the one we currently live in. And we are amazed when we read the scriptures about how it is or what you're doing. And I'm amazed that you've let evil proceed this far in history, but it's because of your patience. And we just look forward to uh, the time we have left as church-age believers to preach the gospel and to live for you and look forward to the time during the tribulation where your gospel is going to be uh, spread even more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.